I'm Dean Jackson. He's Joe Polish. And this is the I Love Marketing Podcast. Jackson and Joe Polish. What's up, Joe? We got a special uh, guest today, don't we? Oh yeah, we got a very special guest. Um, it's Mr. Dan Kennedy. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing great. Awesome. Uh, first off, thank you for uh, you know, thank you for coming on. And uh, for people that don't know you, most people in the marketing world know who Dan Kennedy is. You've written a bazillion books. There's a lot of things that I could say about who you are and all the famous clients you have and thousands of people you've spoken in front of. But I'd, I'd just like to straight out ask you, uh, who, who is Dan Kennedy? What do you do? What are you known for? Why should people listen to you? You know, I, I suppose I'm best known for uh, direct marketing, uh, bringing direct marketing to non-direct marketing businesses. Uh, virtually created something of a movement of it um, in hundreds of niche industries, including the one in which you began, um, often in concert with advisors and coaches and consultants in those industries. Um, now, uh, every year that we can track, I directly influence over a million folks a year who are almost entirely entrepreneurs and small business owners. Um, I, I'm sort of known for a very blunt, straightforward, no BS approach, um, very results oriented, very pragmatic. Um, even, um, as you've said on a couple of occasions, you know, you don't have to be that, that harsh. Um, (laughs) and, um, you know, I, I guess the reason people should listen is because generally speaking, um, I, I, I tend to make folks a lot of money. Yes, you do. You do. Well, you know, let me say company included. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, me and Dean were, have been massively influenced by you. I mean, uh, Gary Halbert's the first guy that I was introduced to direct response from, and that ended up leading to you, which ended up uh, in a very long-term relationship. I mean, the first, uh, you know, nine years of my business, you wrote predominantly most of my sales copy that actually worked. Millions of dollars were generated as a result of the, the stuff that you helped me with. Uh, you've spoken at a lot of my conferences. Um I've spoken at uh, quite a few of yours in the past. Um, you're our featured speaker at our first ever um, I Love Marketing Conference on September 21st and 22nd, which is one of the reasons we wanted to even introduce you to the I Love Marketing uh, crowd and the listeners so they can get an idea of who you are. And uh, you have a pretty rabid following of uh, of people that have made a boatload of money with uh, with with what it is you do and how you do it. Uh, you know, you've written a whole series of books called No BS uh, books. I think you've written seven of those and something like thirteen other different business books. And uh, yeah, so I mean, we've we've done a lot of stuff, including I even had an investment with you in, in resources that uh, didn't really make me any money, which I'm, I'm not happy about. Um, but you're <laughs> you, you know you, you do a lot of stuff, so. 
Uh, Dean, I've got a lot of questions for Dan, but I want to give you an opportunity, um, since I have such a history with Dan, to have you first hit him with some of the first questions, and then we'll get Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Dan, we in the first few episodes of, of I Love Marketing, we've been, we talked about their kind of like our life in advertising story of the, the discoveries that kind of sparked that fire for us, sparked that love for marketing. So, for me, starting out as a real estate agent and doing cold calling and all the traditional things that that you have to do to to get business, and then discovering my first um, direct response postcard, sending it to an apartment complex and getting all the business reply cards sent back to me, and talking to those people on the phone, calling them up, it was just like a dream. And that, that moment for me, I knew that I would never have to make another cold call again. And that really was the beginning of what has completely changed my life. And so I'm very interested to hear, because, you know, we've all sort of stood on the shoulders of giants, you being you know, one one of the giants that we learned this whole model from. How did you discover uh, direct response in contrasted with what what you were doing before, and and how that kind of came about? Well, sort of the, the sort of spiritual conversion from um, ugly cold prospecting, you know, manual labor, unwelcome guest at the door. Uh, 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 to 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 marketing and use of media in place of manual labor. That's a very that's a very common experience for people who come over from the sales side. The the, the way you just told it, um, I've heard it thousands and thousands of times. Right. Uh, uh, Perry Marshall leaps to mind as somebody who would tell it exactly the same way. Um, uh, I never really didn't do direct response, but I did have, so I have sales experience as you do and very quickly figured out that, you know, I didn't like cold prospecting and I didn't like, um, having to literally or figuratively batter down the door, um, the, and play the classic numbers game. Um, and, and I did a brief stint in traditional advertising, um, at a small advertising agency and doing brand image, you know, very traditional stuff, uh, very quickly figuring out that you can make money that way, but the clients can't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which is one of the reasons that you see all of that done by bigger, dumber companies more than by small companies. But, um, uh, in fact, uh, an owner, of, uh, a big name owner of a big name agency, told me very early that um, if you got a decent sized account and you want to keep them for a while, so imagine you have a dog food company as a client, and mm-hmm. the wife of the chairman of the board has little white fluffy poodles uh, with pink ribbons in their ears. You make sure you put a little white fluffy poodle with a pink ribbon in its ear in all the ads. And you uh-huh. keep the account for at least two calendar quarters because it takes them that long to figure out nothing's happening. They, <laughs> they can't evaluate, you know, on a day to day, on a day to day basis. And, 
so I, you know, I, I very quickly determined that, you know, that's, that's not, that's not the way I wanted to play the game. Uh, I became a student of direct response pretty much on my own and, and really, uh, identifying that the folks doing mail order, which now we would call direct marketing, uh, had a very, very different approach, um, than, than everybody else. Uh, in the traditional advertising world, one of the first people who I made a point of getting all their stuff, all his stuff and studying it was David Ogilvy. Uh, mm-hmm. I even purloined internal materials from an Ogilvy and Mather office where I was doing some, some work. And, and Ogilvy, although he built a full service, full scale, uh, ad agency, was constantly telling his people that the only people who really knew what the hell they were doing were the mail order guys. And, uh, and, and so that sort of led me now, okay, let's study the mail order guys. And, uh-huh. and, 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 um, Halbert, um, sort of parallel track, if you will. I mean, I grew up, um, Stone's throw from Gary, and although at this point in time I never met him, but where I went to high school, a goodly number of my fellow students worked after school in Halbert's offices that he rented above banks in little small-town bank branches. So everybody could open the envelope, separate the checks and the money, and it could be deposited right downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so uh, I, we all knew of Halberts and we all knew what that was, uh, at high school. Uh, my first freelance copywriting gig was a cattle call from Halberts, uh, a beat to control, uh, for, uh, beer mugs with the family crest on them. Uh, it was some years later that I met Gary. I actually got a sales letter in the mail at my office in Phoenix for his newsletter and of course knew of him and uh picked up the phone and and got him on the phone and said, you know, I'm from Bath, Ohio, you're from Barberton, Ohio, you know, everybody I went to school with except me was working for you and everybody I know has got the family crest and I got your picture with Ernie Borgnine's photo on it and on an impulse I just thought I'd pick up the phone and call. And um, an hour later, <coughs> excuse me, I was booked to come speak at one of Halbert's seminars because, candidly, he wasn't all that discriminatory about who he invited to come speak. <laughs> but uh, or circumspect might be a better word. But uh, I, I, you know, I certainly was influenced by Halbert and and a number of other you know really great direct response copywriters, but. I've been entirely DR, direct response, since 1975. Wow. And have uh, pioneered a few things of my own, although, you know, the fundamentals and the principles of this do not change. And it is still really about applying uh, tested and proven mail order methodology to non-mail order businesses. That's an interesting statement that you just made because one of the things I was going to ask you about is like what what is different uh, today 
or no longer works as it relates to, you know, the principles of marketing versus the internet and social media because you hear it all the time. We hear it all the time. Oh, long sales letters don't work anymore. Yellow pages are dead. Advertising doesn't work. It's all about social media. And, you, you know, and I mean, and, and there's certain truths. Uh, on certain things, but for the most part, I think most people have their head up their ass when they make well, those sorts of I mean, comments. Well, I mean, there aren't any truths in anything that you just said, the way you phrased it. I mean, it's all bullshit. I mean, uh, so today was my private coaching call day, and yeah. I talked to a lot of my private clients t- today. And um, uh, one, uh, in a particular field, is uh, consistently making over a million dollars a month and I write copy for them, and we are mailing postcards, uh, 16-page booklets, and eight-page sales letters that drive leads to a website. Uh, the website is fairly elaborate, um, and then they come back offline out the backside in order to be sold various things. Um, so first of all, not only is direct mail not dead, still the overwhelming majority of commerce of all kinds is driven by direct mail. Uh, everything from the credit card industry to the apparel industry to the information business to local service businesses. Um, and the length of copy argument is, you know, as dumb today as it ever was. Um, <laughs> because you don't win by reducing your marketing to appeal to large numbers of fundamentally uninterested people. And in fact, the fundamental principle of my approach to marketing is let's make sure we're talking to highly interested, highly motivated, very appropriate prospects for what it is that we have to offer, who will have a high level of interest the minute we show them ourselves and therefore because they have a high level of interest we'll read a lot listen to a lot watch a lot so we can do a decent job of selling to them instead of trying to reduce everything we do to 146 character tweets and no Uh video longer than 3.8 minutes and no sales letter with words of more than two syllables so that everybody can pay attention to it but what good is that? So yeah. the, the truth is the the media, there's more media, right? So the whole plethora of online media, but yellow pages, not for all businesses. And of course, in some cities, they're foolishly eliminating it because advertisers are abandoning it. But um, in a number of categories, yellow pages is still a very viable media, uh, including you know, your core category. The oh, yeah. Category. No, I was just in Alaska a few months ago, and one of my clients is running, you know, yellow page ads doing five to one. I mean, well, just and here, loving and it. And here's, here's, I just showed this in one of my news newsletters. Here's interesting proof of how dumb local businesses are to abandon it. National direct response advertisers are coming into it more than ever. So there's a major weight loss company that advertises in every yellow pages in America. Uh, one of my clients, who's in a skincare business, advertises in almost every yellow pages in America, driving customers to websites in 800 numbers and making sales at a distance. So as the foolish local advertisers have left it, the smart direct response advertisers have come in. 
um, and really no media goes away. Uh, my financial advisor clients, newspaper freestanding inserts. So you hear all the time, well, nobody reads a newspaper anymore. Well, except, <laughs> except people 50 years of age and up with money. Right. Uh, so, so it depends on who, you know, who you want to sell to. Uh, a place strategy, which is really media strategy, is all about what customer you want. And, and, and so no media has really died. Um, uh, uh, you know, I can't even actually think of one that's died. So there's new and additional media, um, and there are nuances about how to use different media, just as there have always been nuances about how to use it. But they are nuances. The fundamentals and the principles apply, and when you get away from them, and anybody starts to think that any one particular media is now unique, and that the rules and the fundamentals and the strategies that drive response don't apply to this particular media because it's blue or because it's on a particular machine or or because people click to it or whatever, they're dead wrong. I mean, one of my clients is Gus Guffey Ranker, and I've had them for 20-some-odd years. Uh, very recently, I did a lot of work for them on Proactive, the Acti product. And on TV, where where we're creating demand amongst teens, you see TV commercials right now with Justin Bieber and Katy Perry, and the radio spots, including some I've written, have Jennifer Love Hewitt in them. However, a little secret, um, the overwhelming majority of that business is not driven by television, either short form or infomercials. Uh, it is, it, it, nor is it driven by radio, although a lot of it is driven by radio. The overwhelming majority of that business, because we're actually selling to mom, and mom has to write the check, or actually mom has to provide her credit card, uh, the overwhelming majority of that business is done in good old-fashioned print media, credit card statement stuffers, newspaper freestanding inserts, direct mail, uh, Valpac, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, this idea, every Every few years, somebody pronounces a whole bunch of things dead and a whole bunch of old <laughs> rules don't apply, and it's all just goofy. And well, I you know, I mean, the vast majority of my money, even to this day, does not come from online marketing. It comes from direct mail. It comes from free recorded messages. It comes from, you know, just things that I've been doing for, you know, since 1992. Well, and even a lot of e-commerce companies, um, so like in my mail stack yesterday, I have a printed catalog from 1-800-Flowers from Mother's Day. I have a printed catalog from Amazon, um, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of companies that people think of as e-commerce companies are at various stages in their sales process or in their customer relationships. They're using a lot of offline media. Huh. Yeah. You know, so when you hear, Dan, terms like someone says, I'm an Internet marketer, I mean, what, what is that? I mean, not that you probably care that much, but what, what goes through your head? I mean, what do you well, think of when, when someone I, I think that I, I essentially sort of feel sorry for them uh, because, <laughs> well, because they don't, they're not differentiating between what is a business. I mean, it's as dumb as saying you're a Yellow Pages marketer. Because, because you advertise in the yellow pages. Um, 
I mean, it's well. I mean, seriously, you know, no, it's true. Absolutely. Or because you have signage on your company's van, you describe yourself as a sign marketer. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, first of all, anybody who limits themselves to any one anything, one media. Uh, one, uh, you know, I teach, one of the principles I teach, entrepreneurial principles is, one is the worst number ever in business. Mm. So one of anything, one key staff person, one key account, one product, one income stream, one sales process, one media, one anything. You're just asking to get whacked. And so mm-hmm. that's foolish. Second of all, you do not want to think of yourself as a practitioner of one media why on earth would you want to be that you know i Uh mean it it just doesn't make any sense and in all probability your business is not that um you are using the internet as a media and perhaps as a delivery mechanism for deliverables uh but but internet marketing is not a business um, nor is it a profession. Um, it, it, it's a use of a media. And, and and so ultimately, you know, we're in the marketing business. We're in the money business. We're in the customer development and nurturing business. We're in the influence and persuasion business tied to whatever products and services, uh, you know, that are our deliverables. But we certainly are not internet marketers or direct mail marketers or, I mean, hardly anybody uh, who makes a great deal of money from marketing would think of themselves that way. Now, again, an outsider might, you know, sort of go back to Guthy Ranker. Most outsiders would look at them and think they're an infomercial company and might describe them as a direct response TV marketer. But Uh that would be a uninformed, superficial look at at how their businesses are fueled and what their businesses really are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's fantastic. I just love the distinctions, and uh, I think that will really uh, kind of freak out um, some of the people that are listening here. But I Well, I mean, I there's a lot of people I... who confuse a website with a business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I'm in business. I have a website. Um, well, so for... I mean, how, in your opinion, has um, the Internet changed marketing? Well, it has it has done a number of good things, and it has done a number of bad things, like just about every innovation prior to. Um, it has, and so, you know, every coin has, has a head and a tails, right? So every, everything has its pluses and minuses. The biggest plus, probably, is it has virtually erased all barriers to entry um, and made made testing cheap, easy, and quick, um, made startup uh, launches faster. Um, secondly, it provides essentially, uh, which is an asset a lot of people aren't using because they're buying into this have to be brief idea, but it provides unlimited real estate uh, without cost. Uh, so, you know, if you and I want to mail a 36-page sales letter, that costs more than an eight-page uh, sales letter. Uh, if we want to put 36 pages of stuff up on the Internet, 
it doesn't cost us any more to do that than it does to put up six pages. So, right, it right. so it provides unlimited real estate, which, if used wisely, is an enormous asset. And the third thing, it allows the third big plus is that it allows um, uh, instant and frequent communication. So we can be timely. We can be, you know, the Collier the Collier copywriting principle of enter the conversation that's already occurring in the customer's mind. See, we can do that literally on a day-by-day or hour-by-hour basis, whereas most other media really doesn't give us, you know, a practical way to do that. In sequential Mm -hmm. marketing, 16-step, 48-step campaigns, obviously you can put in more steps uh, affordably because of the way you can communicate online. Uh, The big negatives are, A, it has virtually erased all barriers to entry. So... It has it has erroneously democratized uh, the marketplace with 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 very confused consumers and moral equivalency among very unequivalent competitors. So a lot of old advantages for most purposes, like traditional credibility or leadership position, um, now are severely compromised in the online environment because the consumer really can't differentiate between, you know, your company that's, that granddad founded and is 83 years old um, and somebody who copycatted you and maybe copycatted you better. Uh, and, and really people are looking at two websites and making a decision. Uh, the, you know, in, in the content world, you know, the pimply-faced doofus who lives in his mother's basement is now equivalent to the New York Times. Um, free content is equivalent to paid content. So all of that has made both uh, intellectual property marketers and marketers in general jobs harder. It allows parasitical feed on market makers. So, again, to use them as an example, proactive, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars are spent in media every year, and there are parasitical marketers who do nothing but work online um, and feed off that traffic and essentially step in and say, hey, we're the same as that glop, but we're cheaper. And, Mm -hmm. And they couldn't even exist were it not for all the money the leader is spending on media, but they are able to prosper with hardly any investment at a lower level. So all of that is kind of a muddy mess. And when you leave customers on prospects online, you're very susceptible to it. In the financial advisor community where I'm doing a lot of work, they call it the Google slap um, where, you know, they generate a prospect they nurture a prospect. They kind of educate a prospect. They move a prospect along. But if they've left him online and they are communicating a lot with him online, right in front of him is the enormous temptation and ease of typing in the word variable annuities and seeing what else comes up. Mm-hmm. And now he's in a world of comparing rates and yields 
but really he can't compare quality, and you've lost control of this guy. And, and so in many businesses, you know, that's a real problem. Um, and, and it requires us to get that customer, even if we generated him online as a lead, or we took him through an online media, we got to get him off of there and get back to selling in a vacuum. So, I, I mean, look, it's made... Um, uh, nothing has made me more money in my life than the existence of the Internet, um, uh, uh, directly and indirectly in terms of working with clients. But having said that, uh, your statement also applies in that hardly any of that money has been made solely and exclusively by use of the Internet uh without uh, comprehensive support of other media, marketing processes, and sales processes. Um, societally, you know, that's a whole other question. But in marketing, um, you know, it has provided a, a fascinating, uh, fast, very agile um, a, a, a collection, really, portfolio of media. Uh, social media, websites, online video, YouTube. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a nutrition company I do a lot of work with, um, and and they are very effectively monetizing YouTube ex- exposure. Um, but uh, to sell their highest end product, that lead and every other lead comes offline at some point. And is FedExed a information package, and the person is then driven to a counselor on the phone. Hmm. Yep. Well, there well, you go. That's interesting because in a lot of you know you you have been a pioneer and sort of you mentioned that you pioneered some different approaches. One of them probably being the multi-step, you know, smaller lead generation ad followed up by multiple direct mail. Pieces, and I think that you know a lot of people have gone the route of taking people from um, using traditional offline things to drive people online, hoping to complete the cycle and the sale there. And what you're just describing is the most successful of them that you're talking about are actually doing it the other way, going yeah. bringing you know getting people online and taking them offline. Yep, or they're, they may be lead generating online even, but then taking them off. Yeah, or they that's may what be, I mean, yeah. They may be taking them back online after they have a customer relationship with them um, yeah. in, in order to do back-end business. Right. Um, but, but nobody, uh, no big successful direct marketing company, um, even those people think of as e-commerce companies, and no client I'm working with, um, and, and and keep in mind, there's like at this point, no client paying me less than six figs a year. So so they got to be doing, you know, well enough to justify uh, that expense to me, let alone everything else they're spending money on. Um, none of them are generating a lead, making a sale, doing the delivery. In other words, doing everything within the the cyber walls of cyberspace and mm-hmm. and and I have rescued clients in trouble uh from doing that 
Um, and, and, you know, the other thing about media, uh, which is, which as you know, is only one third of the whole, you know, marketing puzzle, right? There's message, there's market, there's media in my tri- triangle. But the other thing people don't get about media and especially younger marketers, um, is how, how vulnerable it is to change or disappearance. And so a lot of people have never lived through the disappearance of a media. Uh, but if you work backwards, <coughs> excuse me, it's only a few years ago that there were a ton of marketers and companies, small businesses, locally, big companies, nationally, making tons and tons and tons of money with broadcast facts. Mm-hmm. And by law, it's virtually gone. Uh, cold telemarketing. Uh, mass cold telemarketing. The do not call list has decimated that business. Uh, major impact on the mortgage industry. Um, infomercials, um, were on the air in the, in the early days of TV. Then they were outlawed. And infomercials were possible only after Ronald Reagan deregulated, uh, the airwaves. So as you click around the dial tonight, you know, People had infomercials on the air that they were minting money with, and they went to bed at night and woke up the next morning and couldn't run them anymore. People went to bed at night making a million dollars a week with broadcast facts and woke up in the morning and couldn't do it anymore. And and there's nothing that says anything is safe from that, not to mention just the disruption of, especially with online media, the constant change and, you know, Google changing all the rules every other day and email yeah. deliverable issues and you know and, and and that doesn't make any of it unprofitable or unproductive but it makes it very foolish to re, to to be overly dependent on any of it well you know yeah, i guess it comes back to that one it being having one avenue again that's dangerous yeah yeah, well, I, I, I guess you know uh, that that sounds like man. There's a there's a lot of things going on with this. There's a, a lot that one can know. So I mean, I, I, I guess the obvious question is, you, you know, why do you love marketing, Dan? I mean, um, you've been in this for many many years. It's where your primary focus is. There's a lot of different aspects that you know create business success. And you know, I, I personally, and I think I speak for Dean, would probably put marketing as the number one thing. I don't know. I'm sure maybe that's the same for you, but. You know, why is marketing so damn important? Well, I mean, for me personally, you know, the alternative would be asking people if they want fries with that. <laughs> so, um, We're otherwise unemployable. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I have a certain level of personal affection for it. Um, but, um, but, you know, it is the, so I, so I tell this story often I, I, for, Almost two years, I was doing a lot of consulting with Weight, Weight Watchers International. And one day, it's CEO of that particular year. I'm at their headquarters in Long Island. He comes and gets me and, uh, and takes me to his office. And as we're going in his office, he says, uh, we have to talk. And uh, and that means exactly the same thing in a client relationship that it does in a marriage. Nothing good is going to come of this. Um, <laughs> So we go in his office and he closes the door and he sits out by his desk and, and, and he says, look, he says, I, I've recently done an analysis and, and to my surprise, 
I've figured out we're paying you more per hour than we're paying me. And I'm the CEO. Now, my temptation is to say, you know, is there a question in there somewhere? But, <laughs> you know, it's not the time to be sarcastic. And so I patiently explained. I said, well, look, uh, there's, there's, a very, there's a very good reason for that. You presumably know everything there is to know about every aspect of this company. And you know how to do everything here far better than I know how to do it, with one small exception. I know how to put fat people in meetings who will sign up for weight loss programs. <laughs> and about that, you are clueless. So, unfortunately for you, without me knowing what I know and applying it, everything you know is worthless, which means you would get paid even less. So, that's why it is the way it is. And Less, we'll just keep it our little secret. And I was out the door. <laughs> well, see, that describes the reality. You know, so Iacocca told me this story of when he took over Chrysler, which now this is Chrysler's first rescue. You know, this is many moons ago, not the most recent government rescue. But so Iacocca took over Chrysler, and he spent the first week calling people in his office, handing them a piece of chalk, and telling them to go over to the chalkboard, and you got seven minutes to show me a diagram of how whatever the hell you do around here ends up selling cars. And anybody that couldn't draw the diagram, he fired. And his theory was, if it turned out they actually were important, everybody would figure it out and they'd go get them. But it was a fairly safe bet. You didn't need them. And so really, all, so all the money's in marketing. All the juice, the fuel, the drive of a business is in marketing. And And a lot of people get confused about this. You know, they think they're in the book business or the training business or the publishing business or the carpet cleaning business or the dental business and and and, and they confuse what the business is with the product or service deliverable and, and now it's shorthand you know if you're at a cocktail party and you're a dentist and somebody asks you what you do it's perfectly acceptable to say I'm a dentist or I own a dental practice uh, as long as you as long as you understand that you're just giving a convenient shorthand and completely incorrect answer if you want a high income. Because everybody with a high income understands the distinction and difference between product and service deliverables and the business they're really in. And, hmm. and the business we're really in is the marketing business. That's where, that's where all the money is. And, and so if you don't love it, and you aspire to high income, uh, high financial security, high autonomy, being able to live on your terms, do things where you want. If you aspire to those things, <coughs> excuse me, you damn well better learn to love it. Mm -hmm. You better become fascinated with it like you are fascinated with nothing else on the planet. <laughs> uh, uh, you better be more passionate about it. Uh, than, you know, Charlie Sheen is about hookers and cocaine. I mean, you, you, you have got to be, um, I mean, you've got to be into it because really, if you look for the commonality in all great wealth and wealthy individuals and all high income individuals, it is this commonality. 
I mean, you go back in history, so, you know, the person that inspired Napoleon Hill, Victor Rich and all that, Andrew Carnegie, the history books treat him as if he was a steel magnet. Well, read, Car- read the big biography of Carnegie, read Carnegie's own writings, and you will quickly figure out that, A, he didn't know shit about steel and didn't care that he didn't know anything about steel. He could hire people who knew about steel, right? He was a marketer and a salesman. I mean, mostly he was about raising money, Mm -hmm. which is a marketing function. And if you go look at, so you can come forward now and go through any industry you like all the way to now contemporary terms and and analyze any business you want. And you're going to find when you separate out its product and service deliverables, what you really have is a marketing business. And so you have to love it. Now, it happens to be, for an intellectually curious person, it happens to be a fairly easy thing to love. Mm-hmm. Uh, because 50% of it is behavioral psych. right? So half of it's math and half of it's behavioral psych. So we are really spending our lives, you know, decoding the conscious and subconscious motivations and psychology of the people to whom we sell and deliver whatever it is we sell and deliver. And actually knowing more about what drives their behavior than they do. And then applying that as storyteller, uh, speech maker, um, human interest writer, uh, a motivator, demonstrator, you know, in, in interesting ways. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and I mean, really, if you are, if you're an intellectually curious person, what could be more fascinating than that? We are solving mysteries. We're, we're making deductions about our particular prospects. Uh, and in my case, about clients' prospects. I mean, I work in, I've worked in hundreds of fields, but at any one given time, I'm working in five, six, seven, eight different, you know, so for proactive, I'm dealing with teenage girls, uh, and boys, uh, moms mostly, uh, uh, for the financial advisors, I'm dealing with 55 to 72 year old married, uh, married men and women, uh, with obviously a very different set of concerns and a very different frame of reference and different values and, you know, so, the the deductive part of all that, uh, the Sherlock Holmesian part of all that, the figuring things out part of all that, uh, you know, is fascinating. And and the business owner who sort of retreats into the doing of his thing, the stocking of his shelf, the driving of his truck, the, you know, it, it, that's that's really sad actually, because he's missing out on not only not only the opportunity to make an exceptional income from fundamentally an ordinary business, uh, mm-hmm. but the opportunity to do exceptionally fascinating work uh, instead of mundane, ordinary work. You know, I mean, clearly you you know your stuff, and I hope people that have never, uh, you know, heard of Dan Kennedy before that uh, either found I Love Marketing on iTunes or, or wherever uh, clearly see how much you know and, and the value to, you know, read your books, come see you speak at our event, that sort of stuff. Um, wh- Couple things I want to I want to ask you about. One being, 
time, how you use your time, how you get shit done. Um, but really, before we do that, is like what, you know, if there is some secret sauce, if there are some, you know, the main characteristics of people that are successful, make money versus ones that don't. I mean, what's the well, big difference? I mean, look, there, yes, there are, there is no single, there is no single secret. Yeah. You know, that, that's all nonsense too. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, to use the analogy of secret sauce, I mean, yes, there is a collection of commonalities that, that separate people at the very top of the pyramid from people in the rest of the pyramid. And what's most interesting about them, I suppose, is, is that they, for the most part, they are behavioral uh, more than they are attitudinal and certainly more than they are uh, background, education, credentials, genetic uh, upbringing, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And they, they, uh, they apply universally across all professions and businesses and industries. So there's no particular difference in the commonalities, whether we're talking about, you know, a, a guy that has a chain of restaurants, um, in, in barbecue joints in Louisiana, or we're talking about Donald Trump, or, you know, we're talking about, uh, uh, Bob Iger running Disney. Uh, or we're talking about, I don't know, Chris Cardell, who most people would think of as an internet marketer, although he does a lot of direct mail, or we're talking about you or I. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I've been very fortunate in that really the overwhelming majority of my work is not with big, dumb companies like Weight Watchers. Uh, <laughs> it is with first-generation, from-scratch, self-made, multimillionaire and seven-figure income entrepreneurs Salespeople, uh, business builders, um, you know, the two guys that don't got the ranker, that company did 1.8 billion last year. And, and, and when I started working with them, they were doing like 10 million. Uh, so I mean, it, 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 these guys build businesses. And so it does, so it doesn't really matter. There are commonalities and they tend to be behavioral. And so you went into one category 30 seconds ago when you wanted to talk about time. We really have been in another category of emphasis, focus on marketing, on how you use marketing and how you use direct marketing. It's a profound commonality um, amongst those at the top of the money pyramids. Um, and by the way, there's a link between the two because one of the things that um, really good marketing does and that being adept at marketing does is it makes your time infinitely more valuable. Uh, because it provides leverage, um, and and it allows you to better monetize both your time and all your other talents, and it liberates people from from drudgery of otherwise getting a customer, client, patient, and making a sale and putting money in the bank through manual labor, repetitive labor. Uh, just the ability to sell one to many versus one to one, uh, you know, is a life changer for many, many, many people. Um, I have a client here at a health source, um, and, and Chris has gone from four chiropractic clinics to 336 franchised clinics in four years. And that speed of franchising is almost unheard of. 
but it's because he's very adept at, with some early help from me, but very adept at selling one-to-many instead of one-to-one, which is the way franchises are typically sold. And then his chiropractors are very successful because they're very adept at one-to-many versus one-to-one. So, like, they have a particular treatment program for diabetics, um, and those numbers typically work like this, uh, 20 to 30 people in an evening uh, class yields 15-plus patients at $6,000 a piece average case. So uh, that's, uh, what is that? That's 60, that's $90,000 uh, put on the books in an evening. Um, the, the average Cairo, not adept at one-to-many, uh, to generate that same revenue is going to have to do uh, 90 to 180 one-to-one uh, report of findings, new patient presentations. So, and then, of course, you're putting in the room with effective direct marketing. You're not putting them in the room with manual labor and so forth and so on. So there is a profound link here, uh, really a three-way link between time, uh, marketing, and autonomy. Um, and, and, and it all gives you, you know, leverage. Um, and, and so... Uh, th- th- these commonalities, back to your bigger question, yeah, obviously there, there are things that, um, that people in the top 1% earning category, throwing out the, f- the very small percentage of that 1% that is like freak show stuff. <clears throat> so, you know, the superstar athlete, uh, of which there aren't that many, and there is actually talent, not just skill. Or the complete freak, you know, like briefly, like Snooky's going to be in the top 5%. But, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, shit. Uh, I mean, last year, the well, the Kardashians last year earned $28 million. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Uh, well, and it's, it's an important principle, by the way, I teach a lot, is the higher up the money pyramid you go, the more somebody's getting paid for who they are rather than what they do. Mm-hmm. So that, that leads to a whole long conversation that we don't have time for, but kind of as an, oh, by the way, it's an important principle. And it explains both the Kardashians, it explains Trump, it explains me, uh, it explains this, why, uh, it explains why one carpet cleaner makes $200,000 a year and five others in his town, you know, can't, can't, can't make pay payroll. Um, uh, uh, somebody gets good at whoing, not just at, at, at whating. Um, but so, <laughs> so there are these. Well, yeah, I've made it a verb. Um, I love that. <laughs> What's the definition of hooing? Um, so uh, there, there, yeah, there's clearly things they do and things they don't do. Those at the top of the pyramid that are dramatically different from what everybody else does, and that's really why, you know, coming to the right events. Tuning into content like this, uh, being on your own personal search all the time for models, examples, information, inspiration, and, and, and what can convince you of commonalities that you then decide to adopt for yourself. 
uh, yeah, I was backstage with Trump and, um, uh, uh, at an event where we were both speaking and, uh, uh not long ago, a couple of years ago. And, um, and after a few minutes, when he determined in his mind that I was not a moron, um, he immediately asked me three questions. So two of the questions had to do with how the money's being made at this thing, right? In other words, what's the business model here? Uh, the third question was, what three books are you reading right now? Mm. Now, now, A, it's significant that Trump asks the question. Because a lot of people would think he ain't bothering to learn anything. Right? Uh, the second significant thing in it is he didn't ask what book are you reading. He asked what three books are you reading. And there's significance in that. <coughs> and third, why is he asking? Well, because something might have escaped his attention, and he's discovered there's a fairly smart guy here, and maybe this guy's paying attention to something I'm not that I ought to be paying attention to. And why not ask that question instead of waste the three minutes on trivial conversation? And right. and I'm sure it didn't you know fall out of the sky, hit him on the head that day, and I'm the only person he's ever asked it of. It, it, it's probably routine procedure with him. And so a big commonality is that kind of routine procedure, right? I mean, losers, if you want to go to the bottom of the pyramid, you know, uh, 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 the average adult American doesn't even read one book a year. Okay? Uh, they aren't looking for anything. They aren't paying attention to much. Um, and, and, and they drive past the library every day and wouldn't dream of stopping, you know. <laughs> and, and at the top of the pyramid, um, even all the way at the very top of the pyramid, uh, they're still searching. They're mm-hmm. practitioners of slight edge, and so they're still looking for, can I tweak this a little? Can I tweak this a little? Is it possible this guy knows one little tiny gem about something that, you know, I don't know? And if so, I want to know it. Um, and, 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 and that, you know, extends into everything they do. One of my private clients I spoke with earlier today is in the, in the fitness and the gym industry. And essentially he's what you are to carpet cleaners, Joe. He is to that industry. Right? Yep. And now he's, he's also a friend. So he's a franchisor. Um, he's also an information marketer and a coach. He's got a big business and. He said to me today, he said, uh, he said, you know, I sat down and figured it up because I got curious. And I've spent over $220,000 with you, you know, over the years. Um, huh. and, and he's only recently been a private client. So most of that other money is, you know, attending conferences and buying courses and so forth. <clears throat> and, and I said, you know, and, and your point, you know, and he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm just wondering, what we're really looking for was a gold star. You know, he said, I, I'm just wondering if that's a big number. And I said, like anything else, it's a big number compared to 95% of the people who pass through my front door and go out my back door. Um, it's not a particularly big number for the top 5%, and it's a little low for the top 1%. So, by the way, if you'd like to be in the 1%, we take, <laughs> you know, we should take a look Give at what you to have aspire to. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, absolutely there are commonalities and they can be modeled 
and they can be applied. Now, I think every every person puts together their own, ultimately their own uh, a, a, a short list, their own collection uh, in marketing. Halbert used to call it clicks on the dial. You know, their their own customized uh, a person and their own customized approach. Um, but uh, there are key commonalities that virtually every successful person uses. I always said when Sam Walton was alive, if you put Walton and Trump in the room and you looked at them or you went and hung out with Walton one day and Trump the other and you ask him a bunch of questions, you would be struck by the thousands of ways in which they differ politically, mm-hmm. philosophically, the way they dress, where they like to eat, the car they drive, modesty versus ego, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the useful thing to do would be to identify the three things about which they're in total behavioral agreement. Um, and one, by the way, would be understanding, uh, looping all the way back, that that the business they're really in is the marketing business. Mm-hmm. Huh, totally. And I, I am but a minute or two away from having to to exit. Well, okay. So, so from a time perspective of how you use your time, I guess w- what I will say is that everyone should read your No BS, uh, you know, time um, management uh, book on how Dan gets things done. You have some very interesting perspectives. So, I guess the last thing, if you only got a couple minutes left, is uh, you know, you're coming and speaking at our conference, and uh, I'd love to give uh, sort of a sneak peek trailer of uh, what the heck will they learn when they come to I Love Marketing and hear Dan Kennedy uh, present? Because I really uh, think it will change people's lives as it has many, many people in the past. That have well, in a specific, first of all, as you know, I take very few speaking gigs anymore. Yeah. Uh, at one time, I did it a lot, um, but I take very few. And um, uh, in part, um, and by, and furthermore, not only do I take very few, but I try and avoid traveling. So, well, I mean, yeah, and so will so, the mean, listeners know we're, 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 we're having him come up on a private plane. So Dan yeah, I mean, is my not cheap is to get Phoenix, here. So people don't get confused. My office is in Phoenix, but that's because my one and only staff person is there. Uh, I live in Ohio and, and in Virginia, and uh, and I don't like to be away from my racehorses, so I rarely travel. People bring the meetings to me, um, and I try not to travel west at all. Uh, and so, you know, I'm doing something that I ordinarily don't do when you're spending a lot of money. Uh, because I only fly private, and a west oh, trip all the way to the west and back is obscene. I mean, it's it, the cost is indefensible, uh, <laughs> other than the fact that I get free parking at the airport. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, um, but uh, so the specifics uh, of what they're going to learn, I, I'm not going to do bullet points. And to be candid about it, um, not only will it be a customized presentation for you, but it will be timely. So I won't put it to bed uh, until a couple of weeks uh, before the actual presentation. But in a general sense, uh, what what I want to look at uh, and bring to the table are the are the handful of really big game changers, uh, really big areas of uh, of marketing uh, that can lead to big breakthroughs in. Every and any kind of business, um, and 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 do it rich with examples uh, and diverse examples. Uh, so, 
I'm thinking four, five, six at the most um, in the time I'll have available. Uh, really big strategy categories uh, from which people can take uh, things to do um, it, it, to immediately affect their businesses. Uh, what I won't be doing is talking about, you know, things to think, um, but things to do. And uh, I'll be pulling, of course, from both current um, and and now a 35-plus year uh, tenure at this of essentially turning ordinary businesses into extraordinary businesses uh, through marketing tactics and methods and processes. So that's what I have planned. Awesome, awesome. So, you know, Dan, thank you so much. Um, you yeah, know, not you. only are you a very smart marketer and business guy, but you're also very effective because you actually give people stuff that actually works. And so thank you for sharing your thoughts. Uh, Dean, I'll let you say any final things, and then we will call it a wrap. That's been great, Dan. Thank you so much. We we couldn't be more excited about having you come to Phoenix, and we're really looking forward to it. Well, I'm excited to, but I have to – you know, when I said I'm doing something that I, you know, try and now avoid and generally successfully avoid doing, that I knew when I accepted that damn car is a gift. That that, <laughs> that there would be a You know the funny day. story, Dan, is I, he was at my house when that, he did that. It was that there, my that idea. There, that there would be a day. <laughs> Um, yeah, I bought, yeah, Dad drives the car that I bought for many years ago, and that's a whole Dan, other issue. Can, we can I talk ask about. you something honestly? Is were you at least like partially hoping that we would reject this indefensible amount of money that it costs to fly you yes, Phoenix of course. privately? Of course, <laughs> yes, of course. of course I was. He said. Of course. <laughs> oh my god that's awesome oh, alright so thank you Dan and everyone at I Love Marketing you can get the, if you're listening to this on iTunes you can get the transcripts of this call in its entirety at the website ilovemarketing.com along with any other information about Dan Kennedy and whatnot. so buy his books listen to his stuff and come uh, see him at uh, September 21st and 22nd in Phoenix um, at the I Love Marketing conference thank you Dan thanks guys thanks